0: You're very welcome along to the gardening program here on Midwest Radio on the Saturday morning. Pori, good morning. Good
1: morning, dear. Jack. You morning.
0: are rested from the week, How are I'm, you? Because you had am, a busy weekend last weekend. I am
1: just about recovered. Yeah. Uh, the voice nearly went, nearly went on me uh, last week because I, I was speaking at Bloom for the five days. So, and between talking to all the customers and all the people that visited, and so on, it's been a hectic week, certainly. But no, back in good form again. It was great Bloom, wasn't it?
0: It was stunning, and I did say that at the outset of uh, when I started this morning. Um, I we got. I got to go on Sunday and I brought my mom and her friend and they had a f- fantastic day. Now, the weather was lovely the day we were there and that always helps with anything. Of course. Um, But it was such an enjoyable and entertaining event and so well organised. I mean, even the parking and everything, I was super impressed. There was not an issue at all. Yeah,
1: if you have the time and you take your time, you go with that kind of open attitude. You're not rushing. Take your time. Yeah, there was no
0: agenda and I I, I prefer nearly not to have an agenda sometimes because uh, then everything else kind of takes over. But yeah, it was really great Some beautiful, beautiful gardens, um, like great colour, and I suppose a really good sense for people who maybe don't have huge spaces what can be achieved you know, in a small space. In a very small space. That makes it very impactful. Yeah. Now, Obviously, these guys are, you know, professional designers and, you know, that they've had significant budgets and everything like that. But still, great to come back and say, oh, I've got a bit of an idea for a bit of a space now. Well, that's and that- it. If you
1: only take one or two things from Bloom, or one or two plants from Bloom, um, or a couple of ideas, that's really, I suppose, it's a great place to get inspiration from. And even the Victorian World Garden for people that love growing their five a day, their herbs and their edible plants and their herbaceous border plants and bee-friendly plants. There's always plants that bloom that you will take back to your Mm. own garden. There's always pieces that you can take back. But it's hard to believe the 22 gardens were dismantled Monday evening as I was leaving the start of the dismantling of them. And they have to have them completely, the site completely cleared within two weeks. So they have another week to go to actually clear the 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 area. And that whole physical area of bloom is turned back to... Green grass again. So actually, the back op- to
0: Parkland, really.
1: Back to Parkland. The OPW, Brian Quinn and the team actually saw that area with with the phacelia flower, which is so important for the bees. So they that's a green manure as well. So put some energy back into the soil, and then over the autumn and winter period, it goes back into grassland again. And so it goes from a, literally a, a clean grass site to what you saw bloom last mm. week. Back to back to that. <laughs> and green
0: the vo- like, the volume of, of, of for, well, people first of all, um, but. The a volume of stands and you know obviously there was lots to do with gardening but there was lots not to do with gardening oh yeah, food so the food side of things and the whole crafting yeah. and all of that like it's a fair whack of people.
1: audience it is! a huge, huge um, four thousand people are involved in in the setup and and management of Bloom over this six mm. days. Well, over the I suppose the month of setting the whole thing up. Uh, but they had a record crowd again this year. One hundred and fifteen thousand people, twenty thousand kids went through the gardens, and most of the the whole theme I suppose this year was that thing of biodiversity, sustainability. Recycling was a was a big theme mm. this year, and many of the gardens are going to be reused or rehoused in other areas. So, for example, you might have seen the B Positive Garden from Fingal County yes. Council, which I thought was one of the outstanding gardens this year. All of the plants are going to be replanted around Fingal and around uh, the County Council parklands in Dublin. So, people are going to enjoy those there. The Dementia Garden was voted the People's Choice.
0: Yes, I, I mean we got to talk to Robert Moore, which is lovely. Yeah. Um, And uh, it it, it was a stunning garden. And I think it resonated a lot with people, not just because of the dementia aspect and the memories and all of that, but just simply the colour and activity and the sense that this is kind of garden that we can... I suppose, draw a lot of inspiration from in our own gardens as well. Absolutely, home. and yeah. some lovely Because it, it, it had that, uh, I suppose, l- a large identification with it, whereas some of the others maybe were more architecturally pretty yeah, or whatever. Exactly, like that. a bit yeah. more
1: abstract yeah. or whatever, whereas mm. the Dementia Garden, it was voted by the visitors to bloom as the, the best garden, the show garden, the people's garden and Robert was, I was chatting to him after the show and he was absolutely thrilled. It was like giving me another gold medal for his garden, but that garden, the dementia garden, is actually going to be rehoused in Limerick in St. Eaters Community Hospital and they have uh, dementia patients there so it's lovely to see that all the plants and all the physical structure will be actually rehoused again. Marie Keating's Breath of Life garden, that goes to the Cruz Isle Centre in um, that's a cancer centre in Dublin. So again, that that garden is going to be rehoused again and the Enable Ireland garden, that's going to a new children's centre in County Cork. So all pretty much all of the gardens are going somewhere, which is lovely to see. Mm. So it, it feeds into that whole uh, recyclability. The other key thing I was saying last week was that the amount of people that are talking about the environment of the show. So I was on the Bordemona stand for quite a bit and people was asking about sustainability, what are happening with the, with the peach bog lands in particular, are Bordemona moving to more a peat-free compost rather than a all-peat mm. compost? And and just was interesting. It was the first time that I, I got that real sense from the public about the environment. And I suppose, you know, the anti-Roundup, the growing of age, um Vegetarianism becoming very popular, so people are very conscious about what they're growing, what they're eating, and that whole sense of biodiversity and, and um, sustainability. And you could see it in pretty much every garden had some element of uh, edible plants. Mm-hmm. Nearly every garden that I visited, there was something through, yeah. there. Um, and 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 the recyclability of plant, of materials as well. So there's a lot of materials that were were either reclaimed and used at bloom, and then they were going somewhere else. Um, and the, I suppose the big sense of the biodiversity and the planting for Pollinating insects that was pretty much right, again yeah. on every garden and a big theme at bloom this year. So, you know, and
0: I even noticed and I took a photograph actually of I think, um, is it the alliums? Those, oh, the alliums, yeah, yeah. And there was, there was like bees buzzing oh, around, hundreds it. of bees and, on them, you know. So it wasn't just plants for bees, but the bees were literally there as well. Oh, they, absolutely
1: yeah. well, as you know, Michael G has his 17 hives mm. just in the so bro- they, were, within they,
0: they were well catered for within
1: half an hour of or half a mile of, um. Of bloom, but yeah, it very much the planting this year was to do with with uh, bee uh, bee-friendly plants, but also things like alliums and the aquilegias, um and all of those plants are very very pretty, and but they also benefit. The environment as well. So that that was a, it. Was a really good show, I thought, and just just an interesting. Um, I think for what I took from it was very much the public are asking about the environment. And, and there's it's, that awareness. Yeah.
0: And I suppose the thing is, if every single person is doing some small, small thing, thing that they yeah. weren't doing previously, um, one imagines anyway that it will have an impact uh, in Absolutely. a positive
1: way. So following on for that, I thought for today's program, there are actually a whole range of this time of year, and particularly with the type of weather we're getting at the moment, many of the plants that you see in flower at the moment like the lupins and delphiniums and all of those aquilegias all the old cottage garden plants echinaceas Salvius, which are absolutely Mm. covered with bees this year this is the time of year to actually start sowing them from seed you know when you think about it they're actually flowering at the moment they're producing their own seed in the next week or two and that That's obviously going to start the cycle off for next year again. But if you want to get a little bit of cottage garden feel to your own garden, this is the time of year in June when you sow the seeds of plants like wallflowers, which flower next spring and and are favoured very much by the bees. There's a lovely variety called Persian Carpet Mix, which is a dwarf variety of wallflower. So wallflowers generally flower in March, April, May, Mm. June sort of period. So they give that lovely splash of early colour. And they come in a whole range of colours. But you can sow those directly out of doors. Monty Don was actually sowing them in his his, uh, greenhouse last night. He was actually transplanting them. He had sown them two weeks ago. So they germinate within a two-week period. You can sow them directly out of doors or you can sow them in seed trays and start them off. So all the spring flowering plants like the wallflowers, the sweet williams, forget-me-nots, primulas, um... Polyanthus, all of those plants that we associate with March, April, May, June sort of period. This is the time of year to start sowing those. So there's some sweet william that can be sown at this time of year.
0: Oh, lovely, yes.
1: But also the perennials, so plants like lupins. So you see them in, in flowering gardens at the moment. Now you can plant them as plants to flower now, but you can also sow them from seed at this time of year. And there's a whole range of different varieties. The Russell lupins in particular are a great series, a range of lupins that flower brilliantly and work really well as cut flowers. And flower every year in your garden. Plants like Rubeckia, This is a lovely one called brilliant star. It's a lovely shade of pink. And Gorgeous. And again, Rudbeckias are just starting to flower now or will flower over the next couple of weeks, but this is the time of year to sow them from seed. They germinate, they grow during the summer, and then they come into flower next summer. And salvias. Salvias are very much in vogue this year. They give it lots and lots of colour. They were in flower for bloom in particular. I think, again, on many of the gardens, both the blue, pink, and the white varieties were in vogue and, again, loved by bees as well. Uh, So salvias is in the sage family. The foliage can smell like yes. ornamental sage or, or the herb sage, but the flowers are terrific and they flower for a very long period. I remember going back to the OPW garden in October last year and the salvias were still in bloom. Okay. In October, so from it's now. So a
0: long flowering huge
1: period. Huge, long flowering period. June to
0: September, it's very so there, and, yeah.
1: a, and a beautiful... Um, a beautiful color and a very, very easy plant to grow. So, my message would be this is a really good time if you want to kind of raise plants yourself from seed and the cool conditions we're having at the moment favor the germination. People will see all the, the weeds beginning yeah, to germinate yeah, yeah. in their gardens and popping up. So, you know, this, this is a great time of year to sow the seeds of plants, and that also pertains to vegetable plants. So, if people have planted, say, potatoes and, and um, onions and lettuce early on, again, this is the time to do that second sowing. So, again, you're using the temperatures. You you mentioned temperatures of 13 to 14 to yes. 15 degrees. That's the perfect temperature for seeds to germinate, be it flower seed or vegetable seed. So the type of seed I brought in today are things like chard, rhubarb charred, which lovely. is a lovely plant. Even if you never eat the leaf it's or the stem, pretty. <laughs> it's a beautiful, attractive plant. And there's a lovely one called um, uh, rainbow. Rainbow colors, as well, which has got mi- mixed different colors. Our bright lights is another variety of charge, which has got beautiful stem colors. So, so there's there like yellows, yellows
0: and purples, orange, yeah.
1: pinks, reds beautiful whites um, and again it's a winter hardy vegetable so you sow it from seed now you harvest it in about six or seven weeks as the young leaves start to come you can eat the leaves like spinach leaves or you can eat the actual stems of the plant but as an architectural and ornamental plant in the garden it's absolutely fabulous, fabulous. It's a lovely thing and um, rocket wild rocket can be sown from seed at this time of year kale as we're coming in now to the kind of autumn winter uh, this is the time we sow in june and july and this is a lovely one called fizz which is used as a salad-leafed kale. So it's got a lovely flavour. You can eat the leaves literally within a couple of weeks after sowing. So not as
0: tough as the curly kale later in
1: the year. Exactly. No, you can sow a curly kale at this time of year as well or the ornamental red kales at this time of year for winter use. But this is a lovely variety called Fizz, which is um, highly nutritious, but also lovely in salads. So you don't have to wait for the, the tougher leaves in autumn. All the lettuce varieties like salad bowl, tom-tom um, can be sown again at this time of year, all year round. Little and often. Mm. So, a couple, so a small amount. Now, in that pack of this 1300 seed. So That'll you have, keep you going. <laughs> yeah. So you're small, yeah. little and often is really the trick in doing it. And there's a lovely variety of leek called nipper which is a, a small, it's a, you harvest it like a, like a salad onion. So rather than the big thick leaf yes. that we use in winter, this is a variety called nipper that you actually sow from seed this time of year and you harvest it then in late summer, autumn, winter period. But you harvest it as a small, but well it's about the size of a pencil. Okay. You harvest it at that time of year and use it. Again, it can be used in stir stirflies, salads, soups. Uh, and right probably a bit sweeter
0: as well as it a is, result of that. It
1: is, far nicer mm. flavour. So this is the time of year as was to, to, we don't associate the middle of summer with the sowing of seeds necessarily. It tends to be more of a spring job. And the other thing to do at this time of year is to take some cuttings. And I was showing the, the um, viewers of Bloom how to mm. take some cuttings from of some of your favourite plants. So things like fuchsias, things like um, chrysanthemums or um, even trailing petunias, any of those softer plants can propagate from cuttings geraniums at this time of year in June. So you're taking the young wood, you're taking a short little cutting, dip it in a bit of rooting powder and it roots within two to three weeks at this time of year. So they root. So if you want to take a slip or a cutting of a plant, June is a really, really good time to do that. The other thing just to be mindful of with the wet weather, Potatoes are growing really well, and you saw them in the in the uh, bloom gardens in the Victorian yes. garden.
0: Oh, they uh, were stunning, and yeah. you know, the, I, I I wasn't familiar with uh, the, the some of the varieties that we talk about. So, in, but it was lovely to see them. So I could see there was Orla and Colleen, yeah. and they they were all. I mean, obviously there's a team of people who do this, but to see that walled garden, everything is so beautifully laid out, and everything's beautifully labelled, and it's just it's a
1: class, stunning.
0: Isn't it? Uh, yeah. bit of gardening yeah, all
1: together yeah, yeah. yeah and i say to people like that, that victorian garden it's run by the opw it's the public no, it's garden. them. most of the produce i think ends up in the in the oris but um it's it's a lovely place to go at any time of year if you're into growing your five a day or into growing fruit in particular herbs and they have a beautiful herbaceous border it's there at the victoria at the visitor center in the phoenix park and while we're popping in and the gardeners brian quinn is the main gardener there and sally and they're always open to people yeah. asking questions and, and you can even ask them for an answer. They picked all the strawberries. I'd know did you see that. I didn't but notice they, that But then. They now. had rows and rows of a, a great variety of strawberry called Symphony but they picked them all the day before. Because people the, would be helping themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there was a second crop already coming on to the plants. Uh, but was, sorry, blight. The blight, point, yes. the blight is what, that's what I was making the point of. So do uh, put on with this sort of damp, cool, wet weather. Um, prevention is better than trying to cure the problem so give your potato crop a a spray of the blight treatment now and um, because moist wet weather and this is promised through the weekend and into next, next week and if we get a bit of humidity as well it'll be typical blight weather so my advice is to if you've got tomatoes in your greenhouse or you've got potatoes in your pots or containers or out in the garden soil give them a treatment of um blight treatment now apply it on a dry day like today and repeat it maybe in a fortnight's time also from plants that maybe suffer, suffer from mildew like gooseberries blackcurrants um, roses in particular if you get a bit of dry weather do put on the, um, the, the blight, the uh, fungus treatments now so rose clear or top rose would be a good idea to apply those. So we're into that kind of blighty, fungal type weather. So plants that are susceptible to that, it's no harm to, just to prevent it. And the other thing that you'll notice is that the slugs are very active and the snails with the damp, cool weather, they're going to be feeding both day and night. Okay. So um, some of the organic control, um, something like the Eraser is a very good organic uh, pellet and very safe to use for pets and children and birds and all of that good stuff. But, but um, keep on top of the particularly young plants, bedding plants, vegetable plants, your hostas, the slugs are going to be attacking those at the moment. So with this cooler weather, just keep an eye out on um, blight control, in particular disease control and also the slugs. And the other thing to watch is the weeds are germinating very fast at the moment. So you need to get out with your garden hoe. And start or, <laughs> keeping on top of them yeah. because it's cool weather. It's easy to forget, and then within a, w- and a, week, of weeks, a
0: week, even a week, you a can week, see difference. Yeah,
1: you've got a problem or an issue. So those sort of jobs, I would focus on the sowing of seeds, the taking of cuttings. Um, at this time of year, it's 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 perfect to the moment.
0: You did mention Porik that um, biodiversity, uh, I suppose, on that. Environmental thinking is seems to be definitely kind of taking hold now. And I noticed even the first question that came in this morning, which was at a Bright quarter past seven. <laughs> <laughs> I admire these people a uh, on a Saturday morning. Actually, there was a lad strimming grass at ten past six uh, when I was on the road this morning as well. And I said, wow. Anyway, sorry. Um, a quarter past seven question. Is there an environmentally friendly weed killer that can be used for grass on a long driveway?
1: Okay, and we're seeing this kind of anti, yeah. anti-roundup uh uh very much in the media and the use of you you'll often see on social media the, the recommendation of the use of vinegar as a as a weed killer because vinegar will burn plants back. Nice. It burns the foliage of plants, it doesn't kill the root but it actually so if you put vinegar mix vinegar and Epsom salts together and put that on as a spray, you'll burn weeds back to soil level. Now they will reshoot again, particularly if they're if they're uh, perennial weeds like docks or, or whatever yeah. plantain or whatever. And um, now, having said that, there is actually a company, an Irish uh, company that, and from memory, I think they call it the Irish Organic Wheat Killer. So it is a weed killer. From memory, I think it's made in Galway. And um, that, again, uh, can be used it's an organic, uh, sustainable weed killer control for uh, broadleaf weeds and grasses. Now, having said that, it tends to burn them back and, and particularly perennial weeds may reshoot again. So okay. you might have to give them a second application. So look for that one. It's the Irish Organic weed Killer. And Killer. And... Um, um from memory, I think it's, I'm nearly sure it's a Galway company that, that that make it. Okay,
0: great. Now, we planted spinach in May. When do you start picking spinach and can it be eaten raw?
1: May, well, May, what, so four or five weeks ago. Or so you can start picking spinach as soon as the leaf is, is ready for picking or pulling. You don't have to, cooked as a vegetable, it tends to go into motion, into nothing. And you need quite a, a lot of leaves when you're cooking it. But if you want to eat it raw, then it's perfect in salads. Um, and again, just crop it on a regular basis. So as soon as the leaves are large enough, baby spinach, is, the, the leaf is lovely and soft and lovely in salads and lovely eaten raw. So start cropping it straight away. Perpetual spinach is the one that comes back year after year. Mm. But there are other varieties as well that are annual that, that you sow from seed. They grow for one year and die away. So either and both can be still sown at this time of year. But if you plant it in May, then you can start cropping it really from Middle of June onwards.
0: And right. if you're into juicing, you can throw oh, some yeah. leaves into your juicer and that's real. I mean, because I know not, not everybody loves spinach, uh, even though I do, um, but you can mix it in. It's a great thing to mix in, in with ju- a juice if juicing. you're being a little bit on the healthy yeah. side. Yeah. yeah.
1: Or or eat the leaves raw as well. So they're they're perfect.
0: Okay. mare's tail pork. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the weeds have popped up on my driveway and also in the soil, on a waste area of soil. What kills Mare's, mares tail. tail.
1: So Mare's tail is that it grows like a little conifer so I suppose it's about a foot in height at this time of year. If it's on waste ground or paths and driveways use the dicophar that we used on the on the lawns to control uh, daisies and dandelions and things like that so you'll find that effective. You need to apply it on a dry day so mix the dycofar with water and a sprayer spray it onto the, the Mare's tail. It'll actually drop over nearly within, oh, within one night or two nights and, and then rot and die away. Now you will have to repeat it so uh, maristel is a persistent perennial weed one application won't be enough when it reshoots again you need to treat again Okay. so diacophar and apply on a dry day and just make sure the diacophar doesn't get onto any ornamental plants just keep it onto the, the leaves of the Maristel and you'll find that effective ok
0: so it'll kill anything that it touches really in, it does in, of those it kills broader leaves, broader
1: leaves. So the only thing that diacophar doesn't kill is actually grass which
0: is what you want it to do yeah
1: and the lawn yeah
0: Carrots and cabbage have grown very strongly in the past two weeks. Worried now about root flies and how do I protect my plants?
1: Okay, well you can do it The environmental-friendly way, if you wish. Yeah, this was
0: one of the things, and I know, sorry, we're going back to Bloom a little bit, but one of the things in the Walled Garden that particularly uh, caught my attention and the people that were with me was the way they had built these little framework frames over the carrots, the parsnips, those kinds of uh, vegetables. Celeries, all Uh, that, yeah, yeah. Where... So, coming from the country, the the problem can often be rabbits or pigeons, and oh, yeah. you know that they. But they, they were they were encased in mesh. Yes. Um,
1: so just, it's a special mesh it's, called Enviro Mesh. Mesh. So basically, it's designed to let the light and the moisture through, and and the air movement through, but the uh, bugs, the carrot root fly, uh, and any of the garden pests, the aphids, the caterpillars, cannot penetrate through the EnviroMesh. Mesh. So it's brilliant on cabbage carrots, parsnips, celery, anything that, that's normally attacked by the carrot root fly or the cabbage root fly. So you can use it, use the EnviroMesh that's available in garden centres at the moment. You simply put it, drape it over the plants like they've done in the OPW. You leave them on until you're ready for cropping. So you leave it on permanently and um, that keeps all the bugs away. And it creates a little kind of microclimate as well for the plants. It's, it's that bit warmer okay. in under the EnviroMesh and the plants do so much better Um. So that's that's one physical way, and as you say, it keeps the birds out. It keeps the <laughs> rabbits, everything else out as well, because it's a physical barrier. So you erect it over the plants, and then leave them alone. And then when they're ready to harvest, you you take you you, you obviously pick your crop and remove the mesh at that stage. You can also use the um, the garlic-based. Uh, there's one called root fly. I think it's a root fly spray, a root fly drench, which is based on. It's 95 percent garlic which works really well as well and that's an organic way of controlling both cabbage root fly and the carrot fly as well so you drench that onto the plants and that protects them protects them
0: yeah okay I suppose the environment is more of a, a an advanced preventative me- method as opposed to if they're there if they're there already oh, so if they're can already
1: we, the mesh won't work nothing. so no but you generally you <coughs> know it's, it's generally from about the end of May June we're coming into that time of year for root fly and cabbage root fly in, in particular so um, you'll know if your plants are affected because the leaves will have gone yellow, they'll be unstable in the soil, and maybe even pick one or two of them up. But they're, if they're good and firm and they're growing really well as the listener has described then the environment will work really well.
0: Now, Patricia's wondering about uh, pruning back rhododendrons. They've set a fabulous display of blooms uh, this year, so are probably still in bloom to a degree, but after they've faded, what happens? Yeah, you can
1: cut them back and rhododendrons respond very well to to pruning back. So what's happening at the moment is the flowers are changing from, obviously, the lovely blooms and they're producing seed and will do over the next couple of weeks. And a lot of energy tends to go into the production of seed, which is useless anyway. So... My advice would be once they go out of flower, like all spring flowering plants, you prune them immediately after flowering. So you can take five, six, seven inches and remove the flower heads and maybe four or five inches of stem from the plant. That will encourage the plant to to develop a far bushier, healthier shape. And on that plant, you should get twice as many flowers next year. The key thing is when you prune them back, you feed them at the same time and you can get a specific rhododendron fertilizer in your local garden center for rhododendrons, azaleas, camellias, all the spring flowering plants. They benefit from regular feeding now at this time of year because they're producing new growth. And on that growth, they'll produce their flower buds by this autumn. So how well they're fed and looked after during the summer mm. dictates how they're going to flower next spring. Okay. So by all means pr- prune them back, feed them, feed them again in about a month's time and hopefully this time next year they'll be twice as good.
0: Excellent. Now we've got a patch of wild grass in a lawn how do we get rid of that
1: we had this question again last we did, week and, yeah. and like I was saying last week see like the diacophar we were mentioned, that's brilliant to control broadleaf weeds but it doesn't control grass species within the lawn and the only way really to tree you either live with it and that was really the point I was making last year. If you're in a rural area with lots of uh, farmland and grassland around you, this is going to be a perennial problem. You're going to get seeds, wild, wild, wild meadow grass and scutch grass, the seeds of those coming into your lawn. So you're, you'll have to deal with it each year or else just live with it. And keep it your lawn trimmed on a regular basis. Those broad leaved grasses dislike regular trimming. So if it's trimmed every five to seven days, you'll help to reduce them physically. That you'll exhaust them to a certain extent. If the re- listener really wants to persist with it and get rid of that broad grass, you can spot treat and kill that area of grass and reseed. But that's just going to be a, something you won't have to be doing every year. So my advice really would be live with it. And manage it by by trimming the lawn on a regular basis, giving it a feed, and also trimming the grass every five to seven days yes. this time of year.
0: Okay, great. Now, what soil is good for calla lily bulbs?
1: Well, the calla lilies they're they're beautiful at the moment, and um, many of them are actually in flower as we speak. But if yes. you've got the bulbs of them, you can still plant them, and they were being sold at many many of the uh, bloom had them for sale, and 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 uh, lots of the shows will often have them at this time of year for sale.
0: And will they come up this year or next year? They
1: will no. They'll still come will this I? year. Yeah, yeah. You might have seen some of the the bulb stands. Mean,
0: there was just such an array of stuff. Uh, I did think I did. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: They, so a lot of the Dutch growers come into Ireland for the shows, and they'll bring in. They've they've kept those bulbs in a fridge. Kept them dormant, so the bulbs think it's February. <laughs> so you can. I think still we all thought it
0: was February during yeah, the big work, yeah, well, anyway. there
1: you go. So you can still plant them at this time of year, and they will still grow this year. So calla lilies um, like a moist, retentive soil. They'll actually grow with their, with quite in quite damp soils as well, and the um, arum lily which would be a close relative, you know, the big white lily. That will actually grow with its feet in water. You can plant it as a pond plant. So it'll grow with a foot of water around it. So it's quite, quite versatile. So they're like a moist, retentive soil, ordinary garden soil, really. They're not that fussy. My advice is maybe to start them off, if you've got the bulbs, start them off in a pot of good quality compost. First of all, give them three or four weeks to grow and start to sprout above the soil and then plant them into a, uh, a part of your garden that want to bloom. And they come in, in so many different varieties and so many different heights. So you can get varieties um, that will only grow maybe, you know, 12 inches high mm. and others that will grow quite tall. So depending on the variety, pick the location in the garden to suit that. And they are perennial. They come back year after year. They die back in the winter and reshoot again like this and flower then right through the summer.
0: Now, somebody says, class show at Bloom. A few questions. So, first one I think we've answered about spraying the potatoes. Do I need to put straw under strawberries? And can you use tomato feed on most veggies or flowers?
1: Yeah, well, this is a great time of year. So, the straw is used basically to separate the fruiting strawberries from the soil. Because if your strawberries are sitting on the soil, A, the slugs are going to get at them, but B, the fruit is going to rot. And you might remember... Uh, in the, the strawberry patch that's planted in the OPW, mm-hmm. they've planted it through the mypex material, that yes. weed block material. Mm. So the strawberries are actually sitting on the material, not on the soil. And straw does exactly the same thing. It helps to suppress the weeds. It makes it more difficult for the slugs to get at your strawberries. And B, it keeps the fruit sitting up on a clean material. So when you go to pick them, you're obviously they're sitting on the straw and they're, they're nice and clean. So yes, this is the time of year to put straw or some pla- Plantex material in under your strawberry crop. It'll suppress the weeds, it'll mulch them and keep the moisture in, but also it's going to keep the fruit nice and clean. Excellent. And, um, yeah, this is a good time as well to start feeding strawberries once the fruit starts to form, once it's in that green state. Up to now, you don't feed strawberries, otherwise you get masses of leaf at the expense of fruit but now at this time of year a bit of tomato feed or Osmo Universal feed every two weeks will help to plump up the strawberries, yeah.
0: So that suppose the second part of that question about using the tomato feed on most veggies or flowers. Oh, it's
1: perfect. Tomato feed is high in potash. So potash is the element that induces fruiting and flowering in plants. So if you've got Things like tomatoes, chilies, peppers, aubergines, cucumbers, strawberries themselves, anything that bears a fruit, then tomato feed, hanging baskets, because you want to induce flower. So tomato feed is high in in the element of potash. So potash is that element that helps all fruiting plants. So apples, pears, plums, um, all the blackcurrants, gooseberries, tomato feed would be perfect for them. If you have leafy crops like cabbage, lettuce, Things that you want to actually physically grow. You need a high nitrogen feed. So you'd be better with something maybe um, Baby Bio actually do one for fruit and vegetables. So it depends what you're growing. So if it's flowers and fruit, then tomato feed is brilliant for. But if it's a more leafy crop like our spinach or lettuce, then go for something with a more higher element of nitrogen in it because that's what you want to encourage. Okay,
0: great. Now, somebody's wondering about your opinion on wildflowers. Martina, (laughs) what's my opinion opinion on (laughs) wildflower seeds?
1: Well, this is the time to sow them, first of all. They're they're fantastic and they're easy to grow and they're great to, to, if you have a waste piece piece of ground, you might remember the Fingal County Council Garden. They Mm. had apple trees planted on their garden and all underneath the apple trees were wildflowers. A whole bed of, of wildflowers. And that did obviously two purposes. A, it's going to look very, very pretty. It helps to keep, obviously, the area looking well and low maintenance. But more importantly, it brings that whole biodiversity of insects into the apple trees. So when the apple trees are in flower, the bees, the hoverflies and all the uh, pollinating insects are encouraged in because of that mass planting of wildflowers. So this is the time of year to sow wildflowers in your garden. Uh, If you've got an area to plant you need to get rid of any vegetation that's there at the moment, any any grasses or weeds or whatever, relatively clean soil. Put down a little bit of lime on the soil as well. Wildflowers like lime in the soil and then get yourself a box or two of wildflower seed. Chuck it on, rake it in. They'll germinate within a month and they'll grow during the summer. Some will come into flower this year. The annual varieties Mm. will come into flower this year and possibly August, September. And then the perennial plants, say like the foxgloves or the... uh, poppies they will grow as plants so you'll have nice green leaves and they'll come into flower this time next year and with wildflowers i always recommend planting some spring flowering bulbs then in the autumn because predominantly most of the wildflowers flower from june through to september october so you want something there in the springtime so in october plant the dwarf daffodils, the snowdrops the crocuses the fritillarias that will give you color from january to June June. and then the wildflowers kick in in June and flower till the autumn. So you get a a long, long period and that's companion planting. So when the daftas are beginning to die back, the wildflowers are coming to the fore. And if there's particular varieties of wildflowers, some people love the foxgloves, for example, you can buy separate packets of seed just with foxgloves or just with primulas or just with poppies or whatever one is, cornflowers, whatever one is in your favour, you can actually buy some extra seeds of that and have that as the dominant plant going through it. But yeah, it's a great way. And like, I thought the Fingal County Council Garden was a great example of it. It was, absolutely. You know, and, and... relatively low maintenance you're just trimming the wildflower meadow back in the autumn once it has produced its seeds so around october you trim it back and tidy it up and just let let the seeds germinate and grow again okay lovely
0: somebody noticed there, pork that the mesh stuff <laughs> that we were talking about as they said sounds great is it available yeah, yeah yeah we
1: have it in the garden center it's called enviromesh enviromesh and it's specifically for keeping the the bugs off your off your favourite plants, but it also keeps the, as you said, the birds and the the cats and <laughs> anything and else anything off else, them as well. Yes, yeah. Yeah, uh, the so the idea is you drape it, up, create a little frame, maybe out of bamboo. Cans. That's what I saw. I thought it was yeah. just brilliantly yeah, yeah, done. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, now my lawn is approximately eighteen months old. It was lovely and green in March and April, but is a lighter green or yellowish colour now. Do I feed it?
1: yes this would be a good time of year to do it and actually great weather at the moment for feeding lawns and lawns look at you've been you've been cutting the grass for the last six or eight weeks now so of course you're taking all that energy from the lawn so it, it does need a feeding at this time of year so put on something that will green it without forcing it so i would use the park and fairway it's a straight lawn fertilizer it feeds for three months and you get that lovely greening effect without actually making the lawn jump Um, So park and fairway, apply it over the entire lawn area and that'll keep it lovely and green for another three months.
0: I have a large Patriot hosta in oh, full leaf in yeah. my garden but need to move it now to a new location. Is it OK to do this or do I leave it until the autumn?
1: Well, you can leave it to the autumn but to be honest hostas move very, very easily at this at this time, any time of year to be honest. Um, it will be quite tall. It's probably a foot, a foot and a half at the moment. Patriot is, is a lovely variegated. I was
0: going to say, what's, what's a Patriot, Patriot hosta? Yeah.
1: So Patriot is a variety of hosta which has green and a beautiful white band around the edge of it. Um, it's a really, really nice space. Tactile variety but it grows about I suppose a foot 18 in inches at this time of year um, dig it up split it so you can split it into maybe five or six pieces and transplant it again so it does transplant well at this time of year um, so yeah you'll have no problem whatsoever give it a good watering uh, after planting and it'll kick into growth straight away. Hostas have the great ability to be able to double and treble their size within one year.
0: I just love them. I think they're stubborn. And they're brilliant. And yeah. so
1: they're, they're e- very, very easy to propagate and very easy to move. So my advice is dig it up today, chop it into five or six pieces. Spread it into and plant it in clusters. Plant it. It always looks better, I think, if you plant them in groups threes or fives and I think fill in as one large plant. And with the hostas, underplant the hostas then in the autumn with your spring bulbs. So you can imagine the daffodils. Actually, a beautiful plant to mix with them are the alliums that you saw. Right. So you have the alliums flowering mm. above the hosta and you've got the foliage of the hosta covering the base of the allium. So it's a, that's a lovely mix. To, yeah, two. and a
0: very, two very lush kind of plants together. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, and that they would work really well together. Or you can also sow things like daffodils in the autumn as well, if you wish, and have them flowering in springtime before the hosta reemerges. But yeah, no problem. Plants like hostas are still bays. Many of the herbaceous border plants, this is actually a good time of year. I know it doesn't seem like the right time midsummer, but it's actually a good time to... Lift them and, and transplant, and transplant them. them, propagate them.
0: We're building a new house and need to do some landscaping. What's a good evergreen hedge that's easy to maintain and safe to use on a boundary with a farm?
1: Okay, well, for a farm, well, you've got good, good so something evergreen. Um, like normally in farming areas, I like to put in the broad leaves, like hornbeams, beech, Beach. because to me it, they're more natural. They suit the environment. I often think that evergreen hedges in country areas or rural areas are look a bit, a bit odd. They're a bit out of place, yeah. They're not kind of, they don't complement the environments. But so, Hornbeam and, and uh, Beach is not evergreen, obviously, but it does retain the crisp leaf in winter. And I think it looks brilliant around farmlands, um, farm yards and farm farmlands. So that would be my preference, either the purple or green beech. I know it does change its leaf and that withers in the wintertime. Hornbeam is another brilliant edge for rural areas. If you're stuck on the evergreen side of it, then you have things like griselinia, which works really well. Uh, you've got the Portuguese laurel, which will work really well. Common laurel is poisonous to um, okay. cattle, so you have to be careful with that one and you need to fence it off. Um, it's more a, it's more that it's a, a stomach upset rather than a poison. Okay. The cattle aren't just going to keel They're, over, okay. but it does, if they eat a lot of common laurel, It um, it it, it it certainly can affect them. Um, What else is evergreen? So we've mentioned Grisolinia, Portuguese laurel. um, What else would I plant? Escalonia, maybe the pink flowering Escalonia mm. could be planted as well. There's some O'Leary varieties as well, like Hastii um, and Macrodonta that are evergreen and retain their foliage. My advice is maybe to pop down, bring, take a picture of the area, bring it into the garden centre. I'll actually be there today after 12 o'clock in our Turlock Centre and the listener maybe brings it down. I'll run them through a selection of different hedging plants, but don't rule out the, the idea of having a broad-leaved uh, hedge. hedge. I think it looks nicer, to okay. be honest. H- have a, have a think about it. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Whitethorn. I mean, Whitethorn is one of the nicest hedges if it's trimmed and maintained. It's a brilliant hedge. It's stockproof, very easy to grow, cheapest chips to buy, and it makes a fabulous hedge if it's trimmed on a regular basis and suits an envi- uh, a farmland location. Or you could go for a whole mixture you could go for kind of a wild, go back to the biodiversity theme <laughs> and go for a whole mixture of flowering hedges like your common hedgerow with hazel with gelder rose, fuchsia, um, you know you have different varieties of shrub roses that could be used in this as well, viburnums that could be planted, whitethorn, blackthorn, that kind of a mixed planting, mm. um, which is honeysuckle, that type of a farmlet countryside.
0: Yeah. I suppose Na- t- take natives. a look and see what's around the exactly. area already exactly. and you know and then I suppose it comes down to a question of uh whether you want it to blend in or do you want it to stand out?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, moving on, wondering about buddleia bark. Can oh, yeah. I plant now and are they available?
1: Yeah, they should be available at this time of year. Buddleias will be coming into flower very very soon. Very simple easy plant to grow, so pop into your local garden centre. If they don't have one in, they get one in for you. And Budley has come not only in different colours, you know, ranging from purple, pinks, whites, reddish type colours, various different shades of pinks, but also different heights. So you can get dwarf varieties that will only grow two and a half, three feet and others that will grow up to six feet high fantastic bee friendly plant great for butterflies as well we call it the butterfly bush because it attracts so many butterflies into the garden the the old buddleia and if you have it in the garden this is a great time of year take a few cuttings of it and it yourself.
0: Now, I know we've been uh, doing the blight warning on the potatoes. Somebody's wondering, is it too late to sow potatoes?
1: Well, what they say about potatoes is you can plant potatoes until the ash comes fully into leaf, and it has just come in fully into leaf in the okay, last week or 10 so. days. So, look, at if you, st- if you have them in you the garden, you could stick them in, in the ground. It'll depend on the summer we get. We're actually going to be coming up to the time of year for planting spuds for Christmas. So, in July... There's a range of potatoes, seeds, that come available into the garden centres that are specifically designed for you to grow during the summer, to harvest in late November, early December, just for, for the Christmas, dinner. Mm. So they'll, you'll see those in garden centres in the next probably four weeks. Normally about the first week of July they're available. You plant them into up in pots and containers. You grow them on your patio for the summer. If you've got a tunnel or a greenhouse, you put them in there around October and they continue to grow up until We get the really hard frost around the end of November, early December, and then they're ready for picking from Christmas Day. So there's something to keep an eye out. And they're first early varieties so, so. that you have, a, you have the new potato on Christmas Day. Yeah. And that's okay. something different. That is. Yeah, that is <laughs> so look out for idea. those. But look, if you've got if you've got potatoes in your garden and you want to just plant them, look, you, early June you've still got plenty of time. Well, I won't say plenty of time, but they will still give you a crop.
0: Okay. Now, what would you cover cabbage with to keep away the butterfly from laying his eggs?
1: Well, i exactly. Them them, yeah. Try, yeah. The environment would will, will that's. Simple. It it was like a revelation
0: to me that that, that, uh, structure that they created. The other thing I
1: always recommend is sowing a few nasturtium seed as well somewhere else in the garden. So if you plant a few nasturtium seed at this time of year that will draw the the white butterfly over to them rather than to your cabbage plants. But the environment, that'll work brilliantly.
0: Now, um, I... What, somebody, sorry now a problem with blight on my p- tomatoes in the tunnel oh, yeah. I spray them along with potatoes and when the warning is given my question is is it okay to spray after the fruit has appeared can the tomatoes be eaten and is there anything else I should be doing to prevent this scourge
1: well the, remember that, that potato blight will affect tomatoes as the listener says they're both in the same family in the solanaceae family um, if the blight is spread by wet conditions. And if your tomatoes, if the foliage is wet, they're more susceptible to blight. So when you're watering tomatoes, always water the soil rather than the plant. So don't be firing water everywhere and wetting the foliage of tomatoes because that helps the spread of blight. So if the foliage is dry in the tunnel, blight won't be a problem. So that's the first thing. So always water the soil rather than the the plants themselves and keep the greenhouse very well ventilated. So leave the doors and windows and as much as possible, get good air movement in around the plants. You can use the blight treatment up until the tomatoes are certainly at the green stage, you know, right up till about the second week of July without any problem. I would Leave the, the spraying at least two to three weeks before you're harvesting the tomatoes. But the the blight spray we use on potatoes is totally suitable for tomatoes. But my advice really is keep the keep the foliage dry on the tomatoes, and you shouldn't have a problem with blight if they're in under a tunnel or a greenhouse. Somebody's wondering
0: uh, what what might be the ratio to mix bluestone and washing soda for control of blight. Oh, I okay,
1: forgotten. well, <laughs> I've forgotten. Okay, we'll come back. Back. I, we'll come back. I, I'll I'll we'll come back, next, back to you on that. We'll come back to you That's week. okay. Yeah, yeah,
0: it's yeah. hard to remember these ratios. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's probably written on it.
1: It's well. It's the. It's the. That's the old bluestone okay. treatment that was okay. used by farmers years and years ago before okay. dieting came on okay. the market. Um, but we'll have that for them for next time. I wonder if it's still available.
0: That's the other yeah. question. Okay. Um, but sorry. Now, um, what c- would what would Porik recommend? What plants, small trees to plant beside a new patio to provide some privacy from the road and some nice color or greenery all year round.
1: Okay, some nice trees. Yes, trees trees,
0: trees or shrubs. I I think we're looking for a bit of cover.
1: Okay, well, if if you want something for for privacy and you want something evergreen and it's around a patio area, you've got plants like, there's a lovely uh, variegated euonymus, euonymus with with Aurea marginata, which has got lovely variegated foliage and it can be trimmed and shaped. It's great in pots and containers and um, it'll grow to about five or six feet in height and make a, a lovely variegated, bright, uh, colored um evergreen plant like a screen or a, or a um a mini hedge Portuguese laurel would work really well as well small leaved, it's red stems, nice uh, white flower, and again it can be trimmed and shaped as well uh fotinia, red robin, which again is evergreen it's got lovely that you know so around the patio area you mm. can use plants with a bit more color so for me, the euonymus, the is Portuguese laurel, boxwood would work really well. And they all grow in pots and containers or you can plant them in the garden soil as well. But there'd be quite, quite a number of different plants that could be used.
0: Somebody's wondering, can we spell the, that stuff for Mare's tail? How do you spell it?
1: D-I-C-O-P-H-A-R. Excellent. Dicofar. Okay. Uh,
0: thank you very much. Uh, wallflowers are gone bushy, but there's not a lot of flowers this year. Do I need to prune them?
1: Well, they should have flowered by now. I mean, wallflowers will flower in... in. It depends when the listeners sow the seeds of the plants. So if they sold the seed this spring, you may not get any flowers until next spring. Um, so it depends when, when they sow the flowers. But normally, uh, uh, like I was saying, you sow the seeds at this time of year, they grow during the summer, and then the following spring, they come into flower in March, April, May, and June. So they should have flowered at this stage. So if they're just bushy plants... You could nip the centres out of them, pinch this, the, the leaders out, and that'll make a bushy, strong plant for you. But they won't come into flower until next spring. Okay. So they're a spring flowering plant, the wallflowers. You often get a couple of flowers in autumn or winter because it's, it's spring like weather right. in October, November. A few and,
0: latent seeds or whatever. And,
1: if, and it, particularly if you get a mild winter like last year, you'll often get a few flowers. But the main time for wallflowers to flower is, um, as I say, March, April, May, June sort of period.
0: Somebody wondering, are wallflower seeds available in the garden oh, centre? Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. They I'm are, sure. yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, they're there. I, have, I brought a pack in with yes, me. Yes, I've seen I would them. go with that one, that Persian the, carpet the mix. Sutton's. It's a really, really nice variety. And um, it's still in flowering gardens at the moment since March. And um, There's 400 seed in that pack. So they're very simple and to sow. And it's a
0: great old bit of colour when oh, you it's need a, a lovely colour colour come March time. It's a lovely plant. It's yeah.
1: so easy to grow. Now when you, when you sow the seeds they're, they're going to obviously germinate in two weeks you grow them on and around August pinch the centres out because you want a short bushy plant so just take the very centre of the top of the plant out in August and that thickens up the plant and makes it really strong and um, you, get lo- you get twice as much colour if you do that That's simple
0: Okay one or two before we have to finish up work I didn't get around to cutting back my rose bushes this year and now they're flowering they're very unhealthy looking with no foliage on them is it too
1: late to cut them back? Well what I would do what I would do with them and is all
0: look, the all the advice you give on roses <laughs> every the year say,
1: <laughs> And every year it's the same. Listen, um what I would do with with them is let let them flower but when you're when you're dead-heading them, take at least six or eight inches of the stem. So let the, let the flower fade, follow it back six inches or eight inches of the stem, cut it there, and re-feed it, and it will actually regrow and flower again, and you'll get plenty of young foliage on them. So look at the pruning is normally done in before March before or the early flowering. April. Yeah, before the flowering, yeah, because they flower a new growth and the pruning you see helps to reinvigorate the plant, encourage lots of new growth, mm. but also gets rid of any of the old leaves that may contain some of the diseases and some of the mildews and black spot from last year. So let it flower, follow the stem back, cut the old flowers off and about six eight or eight inches of the stem, feed them well and like roses are going to flower till Christmas, so plenty of time yet.
0: Okay, and we're going to finish on the question, does greenfly attack strawberries?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, greenfly will will attack your lupins, your strawberries, any new growth, boxwood in particular, um, you know, loads and loads of plants that will attack uh, vegetable plants as well. If you want something safe to use in it, there's one called Bug Clear specifically for fruit and vegetable. You can spray today and eat tomorrow. It's based on rapeseed oil. so if anything it adds a bit of flavour to your strawberries (laughs) but yeah uh, um, strawberries absolutely yeah by yeah.
0: All right, Cathy, we'll leave it on that uh, question for you, Porik. Thank you so much. Not at all. Uh, and we will see you
1: next week. And remember, uh, for listeners, I'm, I'm in the Garden Centre today in Turlock and Castlebar after 12 o'clock, so if you want to pop in and chat.
0: Lovely. Thanks a million. Uh, that's it for me as well for this morning. Poor um, Michael Neary even is coming your way next uh, with the very best in-country, country classics right through until 1 o'clock. Thanks for your company over the past couple of hours. We're back next Saturday. Until then, good morning.